When it comes time to starting a farm or any other business, a lot of people focus on what they have, the physical stuff that they have. But one thing that people tend to undervalue are the relationships that they have. And when it comes to building a business, relationships are key. That's what this episode's all about. Stay tuned for more on that coming up. Welcome to the world of farming small and farming smart. I'm your host, Diego. Today I'm talking to farmer Drew Sample of Capital City Greens in Columbus, Ohio. Drew originally wanted to start out with a farm just like a lot of people that you hear of on the show, a market garden. And over time, he's realized that wasn't a fit for him. And he's scaled his operation down to microgreens. And it's a microgreens operation that is thriving. It's doing very well. And one of the reasons that it's doing well isn't just because of the methods of production that Drew's using on his farm, but it's because of the relationships that Drew's built his farm upon. Drew is very well connected within his community, and those connections have really helped him to refine and grow his farm to where it is today. So in this episode, we're going to focus on that, the importance of relationships and how they can help you grow your farm faster than you could grow it if you were just trying to do it alone. And relationships play out in multiple ways in this episode. Drew's going to give you some advice on how he sells his microgreens, on how he presents his microgreens to chefs, some growing tips, all things that he's learned from dealing with people and communicating with people. There's some great advice here on taking your farm to the next level simply by paying attention and being interested in the people that you work with and the people that you deal with. Let's jump right into it. Building a thriving farm business on relationships with Drew Sample. Drew, man, we're talking here in April 2018. At this point, how long would you say you've been farming? That's a good question. I think I've I've dabbled for this is um this is my third real year of like making a go of it and going to farmers markets. Um it's going to be my second year full time, my second season full time, but I I dabbled uh for a year and helped out a buddy who has a farm uh and went to farmers markets with him, but I was just kind of volunteering my time so I could get a taste for it. So Man, I'd say this is my fourth fourth year of of being kind of putting my foot in, but since I put my foot in, but this is my like second year of of having, you know, all, you know, being able to give my best hours of the week to farming. And you've had a an evolution in your farming career, and I've talked to you quite a few times since you've started, so I'm familiar with the backstory here. When you initially decided to do the farming thing, so let's go back to the very beginning, what was your goal then and how did you envision your farm playing out for where you were at in Columbus? My vision originally was it came from very much so like it was a kind of a, I don't want to say it's 100% social justice, but it definitely had something to do with it. I wanted to, to kind of move into the inner city and make a difference. Uh, I thought growing food and not lawns was really cool. Um, and I just wanted a, a place to do it. And then I went in the inner city and I kind of got up and caught up in the food desert thing. Um, so originally my idea was I wanted to change my neighborhood by farming. And, and I felt like it was an action I could take that I wouldn't have to stand in the street and I wouldn't have to, 
you know, kind of spew my values on other people. And instead it was, it was something that I could just, I could say, okay, these are my politics and you can look at my politics instead of having to listen to me talk about them. At the time, I think originally you wanted to do more of a in the ground traditional veg style model, like a Curtis, like a JM. For sure. Yeah, that was, so that was really it. So I saw food, grow foods, not lawns. Um, and then it was, so not only that, like, like my reasons for it, um, but like, so originally, yeah. So JM's book was the first book I read. And then I also got heavy into Curtis Stone and listened to your podcast you did with him, used my podcast to talk to him, um, wanted to expand the neighborhood with, with the farm and, and really get multiple plots, mul- multiple yards and, and, and have all these crops that I would do. Like I kind of envisioned doing the same thing that Curtis is doing on his block. Um, but you know, (laughs) you just got to listen to the market and the market was just telling me something else. So it kind of just, you know, when I, when I started doing this full time, uh, I had to look what was, what was paying the bills. So I, I had originally worked with a restaurant and was making pretty, I mean, for doing it part-time, I got to the point to where I just stopped going to the farmer's markets and on my lunch breaks, I'd come home and pull my lettuce out of that. I had in totes out of my refrigerator and drive it to my buddy's restaurant and get a check. And then, you know, he was all about it. And then the next season rolled around and, you know, the hydroponic operation was, had really lowered their prices. And, you know, he was paying me eight bucks a pound versus four bucks a pound. And, um, you know, my lettuce was pretty good, but I, I don't, I don't really know if it was $4 less a pound good in his eyes. It was kind of tough to, um, it's, I think it, it's hard for a lot of restaurants to justify. Like I even, if you listen to my podcast, when I was interviewing farmers, all I talked about was lettuce, 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 lettuce. And there's a good chance I'm not going to grow any lettuce this year. Well, when you were starting looking at the, in the field model, was there a point too, where you realized like, this might not be a fit for where I want to go and what I have. And was that another push to go the microgreens route? Absolutely. I, I think uh, when you look at too, um, I think with the microgreens route, another thing that I really liked about it was, is, you know, what, how am I going to make money in the wintertime? Like I don't have enough sun in Ohio to have a, a, a greenhouse like Curtis does uh, or, you know, we just don't get that much sun here. So to have winter crops, I mean, I could build a greenhouse and then have little hoops inside the greenhouse, but man, that's, that's a whole different ball game. And that's a, I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's, it isn't possible, but I just feel like the, the fragility of that situation is, is pretty high. And I think, uh, so a lot of the shift with microgreens to to microgreens was just market demand, and then also, um, it just there was just just different things why it wasn't going to work out. Like I think um, I like selling to restaurants uh, quite a bit, um, but also like I like the sales aspect more than the farming aspect too. So I, I think that had a lot to do with it too, and it, it kind of you know, microgreens is something that it's very manageable just on my plot of land. Um, you know, I could scale in the summertime, I could do quite a bit with my greenhouse and my basement. Um, I kind of did some numbers and, um, the way that we're doing the, the basement, we could get up to 124 trays a week, um, 
with with microgreens, which which is pretty good. And then the, I forget what the greenhouse is maxed out at, but I, you know, for me this this business is 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 uh it's it's a lot to do with the lifestyle too. I'm hoping I'm answering your questions, Diego. <laughs> you touched on a few things there. I mean, lifestyle. I want to circle back to that. One thing you said you realized was you were into the sales more than the farming aspect. And I'm glad you said that because I think that's going to be true for every person doing any sort of business. We're all going to say, well, I like this part of it, but I don't like that part of it. When did you start to realize I'm interested in farming, but I don't like the in the ground side as much as I like the sales side? What was that point where that became really obvious? Probably right after Permaculture Voices and doing that first season, um, you know, when when Scott and I were first doing the the podcast together that we we were doing like our first year, and it was kind of like an accountability podcast because we we're both in Curtis's course. It just was becoming obvious to me that Scott liked farming a whole lot more than I did, and I uh, I didn't you know I I didn't mind the farming, but it's like you know I don't get excited about necessarily getting my fingers in the dirt like i like to do it here and there like i like to harvest i like i like i like doing the steps that are really close to somebody handing me money and a lot of times you know going in my basement and seeding trays like i I, of lettuce or more crops uh man it just didn't there there was about a hundred other things i'd rather do and so you know when i was when i was working full-time and doing that part-time it you know, it, it's hard to run a business when you don't want to do everything that's involved in the business and you're the only person that's operating within the business. And so, you know, eventually I, you know, and I, I think too, I was just hitting walls and I think there were certain things that's like, you know, this is really hard work and it's not as enjoyable as I thought it would be. Um, and I'm not making as much money as I could at, you know, a, a job and other things like that. So, you know, I I remember even when I got laid off, you and I were talking and and you had said something to me um, in regards of, yeah, it sounds like you're trying to convince yourself to farm. And and I really was like, because I was like, man, I don't want to just do this. And um, so it it, it was pretty early on, Diego. I I didn't um, I I could get I knew I could get sales and that was fine. I've been in sales for 10 years. I came to farming with a sales background, which most people that seem to get into farming don't do and so like i look at i I feel like i look at things very different than a lot of farmers do like i I really want to look at this as as a business like i I think that was and i'm not saying other farmers don't but to me it's like okay how quickly can i remove myself and how quickly could i pay how quickly could i replace myself and just collect a percentage of this business um and i think it's going to take time for having that realization and then moving towards that, how do you bridge that gap between it's going to take time to remove yourself so you can focus on really what you do best? I mean, that's that's what you're getting at. Like You do the sales part the best, the value-added part the best. Your time, your effort, your energy, and what you're interested in isn't the field side. When there's part of the business that you don't like, and this is maybe more when you are doing this while working full time, how do you get through the part that you don't like just to get to the part that you do like? Is it just grind it out and like, hey, I got to do this? Yeah, 
I'd grind it out and I'm pretty good at as you know, as a lot of people say, is Rich Rich Fratzel, uh, who's my farm manager and yeah, man, the big backbone to my business. Uh he would say I, I can Tom Sawyer a lot of situations. Like I could it's easy for me to like invite people over and have them help me and have a good time doing it because we're just joking around and having a good time. Um, I think for me, like having good networking skills, I I would know how to leverage leverage th- leverage situations to where I could have people help me, and I would either buy them food or supply drinks or whatever it is they liked, and we could just have a good time and hang out. Um, my buddy Joel Cameron Harris, uh, he helped me out a ton in the beginning, and like him and I, um, we were helping each other out because I would. You know, I went to the the farmers market with him, and I'd help sell. Like I, I, I liked that. I mean, I've done belly to belly sales for you know close to. I mean, I, I've done every form of sales almost, and I think uh, so. That wasn't. It was something really fun for me going to the farmers market and kind of having a good time, and it was exciting because I felt like I was making a difference and what whatever. Um, so like you know, I'd put in time there to help him, or I'd go over to his property and help him with stuff, and then. He would come over and help me, um, but you know if I if I couldn't trick my friends into helping me, which I don't really say I tricked them, but it's it's just kind of funny to joke about. Then yeah, I, I just grind it out, man. I, I'd figure out the best way I could, and then figure out ways I could trick myself into doing something I didn't really want to do. Um, and then I think towards the end of that first season, I remember I I my uh, I, I didn't have irrigation in, like I had a crappy irrigation system and there was just a lot of things that was just overwhelming and so I just kind of pulled the plug early for like a month and I, I tarped my beds because I had a bunch of weed pressure too and then um then I, I planted some lettuce and I I replanted and then it snowed and it was it was kind of like that was kind of done and then um so uh yeah a lot of it was just I had to grind it out I had to tough it out and but I just didn't like doing that. Um, I still don't. I I do now to an extent. I think it's good for to to do here and there for me. I think it's you know I'm I'm pretty good at grunt labor or if it comes to like lifting things or you know carrying trays up and down my basement steps. Like I I like to do that. Um, not only for the exercise, but also too just because it's like you know I'm not. I'm not really skilled labor. I'm pretty good at sales, but if if you need me to carry something, then I you know I'll help you carry it or I'll help you move furniture out of your house. But I'm I'm not going to be somebody that's going to help you install a TV mount or, or or something like that. Like I'm not I'm not really a handy person. And so for you, I mean, what you've done, I think, is you've taken what you have to work with and you've made it work for you. So you have the the skill of selling, the relationships for selling. And then you met Rich, and Rich was at a state in life where he had things he could add, he needed things, and you were at a state in life where you had things you could help him with and he could help you. Can you talk about that exchange? Because I think the combination of you two in, in the the exchange of capital is a way where you both came out ahead, where it was like one plus one is three. And I think too many of us try and do this as individuals, when if we could find somebody who could be the complement to what we have, we could maybe get where we want to go faster and better than if we just tried to both do it as individuals. Absolutely. 
So, you know, to kind of hit rewind after you and I had re- recorded a show together, um, I think it, I think it was, I think it was a couple months. Oh no, it was, it was in the fall of, uh, I think of like 2016, you know, I, I, I'd spent a lot of time, um, in Florida trying to figure out what, what I'd wanted to do. And I, I'd kept in touch with, uh, with Rich. So I met Rich at Permaculture Voices 3, um, saw, you know, had peeked at his Facebook, but you know, Rich was just such a, a nice guy and just so he just like really seemed to appreciate everybody that he had a chance to meet there. And, um, and you know, him, him and I were talking and then he had messaged me and said, Hey man, I listened to all your podcast episodes. I really enjoy your podcast. And, uh, and it, it was, it was pretty cool. So him and I had, had started talking and I, he was close with, uh, Greg Burns and some other people in the GSD crew. And, uh, so, so Rich was, um, he was in an urban environment in Meriden, Connecticut and had just a total urban permaculture setup. Like he had like a perennial area, he had an annual area and, you know, his, his yard was his, his design. Um, I don't have my PDC. So I, I guess when you get a PDC, you have to have a final design. And, and that was, that was Rich's thing. And it, he just had just an amazing setup in an urban environment, just doing really cool stuff. He was a full-time caregiver for his, his father. Um, and, you know, and just based on his situation, he had, you know, it was time for him to move on and get out. And Rich was going to move to, he wanted to move to Ohio because he really liked our laws here. And he really liked kind of like the community that we had, we'd started to do. And so Rich was kind of looking to basically say, hey, look, I have skills. Um, I want to help somebody out that it has similar goals and values that I do. And I'm willing to, you know, trade my time and my skill set for a, a place to live. Um, and, you know, and, and so it was kind of that arrangement. So um, Greg Burns had hit me up and he said, hey, I think you should talk to Rich. I think you two could really help each other out. And so I just kind of thought, you know what, like I, I know I live in a, in a small spot, but if I don't want to go back to corporate America and I don't and I really want to give entrepreneurship a real go, I think I'm going to have to make sacrifices um, so, I mean, you, you've been to my home. It's, it's a, it's not a, it's not a large home. It's a small two bedroom, one bathroom ranch home. Thankfully it has a full basement. Um, I think my house is 710 square feet. I'm on a, a 15th of an acre. And so like, I, I had to give up a lot of space and I think, and, but it was something that it's like, you know what? I, I think I'm too comfortable. I'd, I'd become too comfortable living here at a nice cushy corporate America job where I was, making a lot more money than they, they definitely wanted to pay me, which is probably why they laid everyone off. Um, and so Rich came and he got here and it was, you know, it, I, it, one, one problem that I have and, and you and I had discussed it quite a bit is like, I, I know where I want to take a business or I know what I want to accomplish or what my goals are. I have no issues dreaming or saying or declaring what I want, but you know, taking the the steps or what steps do I need to take to get from point A to point B? I wasn't the best at, like I I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not very, uh, I wasn't, I was trying a lot of things, but I was, you know, I was winging it most of the time. And, you know, for one, one, just a lot of different, just a lot of different little things that had happened. And so when Richard came, it was like, well, dude, 
like it was a huge huge we we started just making huge huge changes because rich was giving me a ton of good feedback i mean and a lot of times it's painful i mean it's painful to live and be two grown men living in close quarters together i mean it's you know it's not it's not always hunky dory around here i mean i i say stupid stuff to him sometimes or i'll get offended at something that he's saying to me or we'll 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 kind of be we'll butt heads at times but you know it's it's always because we're working hard to to accomplish something together so um so like immediately rich came and i i was wanted to build like a a building to have because i was using my greenhouse as storage and rich was just saying you know before we even do that you know we have to we have to do this step first and so rich was really like a systems and processes guy and i you know i'm pretty good with systems when it comes to like working within a system and kind of figuring out how i could get it but i'm not the best at i I didn't have a lot of experience building systems and you know rich is very uh he's he has some very ocd tendencies and i and i have some very chaotic tendencies so i think when you take ocd and chaos you get some pretty good creative forces that come together um so i mean just changes the rich's approach to urban farming was very different than you know curtis's or a lot of people had said i mean even just he just had some ideas to where we could immediately increase uh production of microgreens in my greenhouse of just simple solutions like he he just we went and we got these nice big pallets and then he's just like well he's like all we need is some cinder blocks we can turn these into tables so then we went and got some cinder blocks and we more than tripled my growing space in the greenhouse just by doing something simple but and i know i'm probably bouncing around because i'm trying to remember everything but it was always like him and I, he'd run some ideas off me and then I'd bounce back with some different ideas and Rich would be like, oh, okay, yeah, and I think we could do it this way. So um, one thing that it, he just kind of had this gift of doing is seeing like my, my sloppy attempts at having a grow room for microgreens in the basement or trying to grow stuff in, in the greenhouse or and really just coming through and make it, taking something that looked like some part-time amateur was doing it to making it look really professional. Hearing it, it is that combination approach, combination of skills and deficiencies that match really well to make things work. And he's does the bulk of your production. You said he's the farm manager. In terms of the farm and the labor that goes into it, I mean, at this point with the microgreens operation, where do you fall? You said closest to where you can touch the money at the end of the day. So what part is he, what part is him and what part is you? So Rich is the, I call him a plant whisperer. Um, you know, Rich, Rich just, you know, he, he would, he likes to experiment with, with seeding trays and I hate seeding trays. I can't do it, but it's like, okay, let me watch Curtis do it. Okay, good enough. I can do that. But Rich is like, no, you know, you got to have the right intention and you got to. So Rich, Rich started experimenting on, um, you know, how could let's let's see how much soil we could reduce. Let's see how much seed we could reduce. And then let's and then uh, he then he he waters it. Um, but basically what Rich does to, to answer your question, he he gets he seeds the trays. Um, he makes sure they stayed water. He rotates them in between lights. He will tell me what we need to to purchase to to make the operation better. Um, I harvest the trays. I package everything. I 
go to i'm the one that sells to restaurants i'm the one that delivers them and sends spends time at at restaurants um and and really networking with the chefs and and building relationships with kind of everyone within the restaurant so i can get more referrals for fr- for friends that they have at other restaurants um so I, I handle a lot of like customer facing responsibilities. I'm at farmers markets. I, I do the networking, but Rich is the one that's kind of okay. How do we figure out how to grow cilantro consistently? Because if you go online on who's growing some micro cilantro, you you read a hundred different things. People have different crazy theories that they do, um, and and you know, and Rich is Rich. We've got it pretty consistent. I mean, we're consistently getting about four and a half to what are we getting? We're getting four and a half, four to four and a half ounces each tray in about 14 days. And all the research we did was, I, I, it was even from sites where you buy seed. It's like, uh, don't water them a lot when they're germinating or keep them in the dark longer. And Rich just kind of figured out, okay, so we're going to, we're going to weigh, we're going to weigh them first. We're going to have the, the, the tray stacked just like you do with radish or, or pea. And then after you do that for a couple of days, then you then you let it sit without weighing it. So he, he's like, well, let's see if this helps. Or, you know, he's very much so just the mad scientist when it comes to figuring out what, how can we get stuff to yield better? What what works best with the germination? What do we need to 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 increase germination within like our grow room so we have like ventilation going through? Uh, you know, coming up in the summertime. If we need to do keep keep it running, we might put an AC unit in that room as well to kind of to see if we need to keep it cool based on the lights. So he's he's the guy that manages a lot of the tough stuff when it comes to growing. I mean, I I can I can throw seeds in dirt and I can water the trays and we can see if if and I can make stuff grow. But you know, it, my stuff has never looked as pretty as his stuff does, and and I give him feedback too. I mean, so when I'll so when I when when he's done when it's ready to harvest i harvest it i take a look at it then i present it to the chefs and then i ask chefs for honest opinions what do you think about this product how long is it lasting what do you like most about it what what could we do to improve it what could we you know what i mean so we have two different meticulous things that we do but they're in different aspects of the business he's very meticulous about the processes of what needs to get done on the farm i mean like as soon as I harvest trays, I need to, you know, we, I dump the trays, which we're somehow managed to keep all the soil on the property, which I'm really happy about. And we have like these, all these raised beds now across the property, but you know, it's him and I are, are, are kind of meticulous in different things. And we, when we pay very close attention to very different things, but it works out. And the biggest thing is that we, we have to keep coming back and communicating and staying on the same page. And from a production level now, let's say with your main season production, how many trays of micros are you doing a week and how many crops make up that number? So that is a, a great question. Um, so we have expanded quite a bit with restaurants in the wintertime. So I, I think now we are at... Um, Gosh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I think I I want to say we're up to about eighty trays a week. I could be off, uh, but we're up to about eighty trays a week. We have let's see, we have one, two, four. I think we have about six crops. Um, let's see, cilantro, pea shoot, pea tendril, mustard, arugula, and radish. So yeah, six crops. Um, 
And I honestly, what I'm really prepping for now going into the spring, because we've had so much snow and it's been such a rough spring here in Ohio, I, I haven't planned anything for field crops right now. Um, my biggest concern is moving the microgreen operation from indoors to outdoors. Um, and then we'll kind of worry about what, what crops we're going to, we're going to start growing. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm taking rich and I kind of decided that we need to take a different approach. I, I can find people that I could purchase lettuce from, like, I want to keep having lettuce and salad mix for the farmer's market. Um, but when it comes to what, you know, my number one priority is, you know, catering to the seven restaurants that I'm selling to. Um, and, and figuring out using the microgreens to get in and then saying, Hey, I was talking to this farmer. I think he has, you know, this root crop, or I think he has this seasonal crop and kind of, and I'm trying to build a business. So I have chefs and they know that when things are in season, they can count on me to have it. Um, and then here, what we really want to start focusing on is more kind of niche things. I mean, we have a smaller, a smaller plot. So I think the more niche crops, high high price value crops that we can have, whether it be, you know, we're going to try, I think it's called ice plant or ice lettuce. There's multiple names for it. Chefs has requested that. Now, you know, thankfully, a lot of the chefs that I work with, they want to get some really good tasting per, per plants around here that just grow as weeds, like uh, some, some varieties of purslane and and other crops like that. So we're going to, we're going to try to experiment with that stuff. Um, and, and I feel good because now we're in a position to where we're getting enough money in restaurant sales to where, to what I was making with farmer's market and restaurant sales at the end of last season. So now I can, you know, leverage what we have. So now we, I, I know we can pay the bills. Um, and now we can kind of experiment with other things and kind of become more of a niche. And then I can still, go and support like my buddy Joel Cameron Harris or any other local farmers that I know that maybe don't have the same sales network that I have yet. So that's that's kind of the direction we're going with with crops. So functioning as both a grower of the niche and then an aggregator of the other stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I think for for me, um, I like to connect dots. Like I like to I think I what I find most fulfilling about this is it's helping people and and I think like it's it's really rewarding to have chefs get really excited about what I'm bringing them like they really like my microgreens and then they they make crazy requests for me to grow crazy microgreens and I talk to Rich about it. he goes well we're not really at that point yet which is another great function of Rich cuz I immediately want to try yeah we can try that and then Rich is like okay well let's slow down and really think about this Okay, let's what what's taking this this in account? How long is that going to be under the lights and stuff like that? Because we're still limited with space, so we're still limited with space in the basement. But now, what I'm looking forward to in the summertime is we're going to have more space because we have both the indoor operation set up, and then we're going to have the outdoor operation set up in the greenhouse. So now we have more space to 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 grow. So um, I I like. I think the the one thing that I, I I have to keep in focus is what my actual growth limit is, what my actual capacity is in the basement for the winter time, um, and and when I do pick if I do pick up more restaurants is making sure that they know that this is going to be good for summer, and then once your menu changes or once I have to bring crops indoors, 
we're we're we might have to make some changes or it might everything might not be available and that's a that's a good position to be in a lot of what you've hit on in this episode is building relationships connecting dots networking with chefs and for you the production side of things was grinding for a lot of farmers out there the selling side that's the grinding that's the part that people don't want to do pretend doesn't exist Coming out of the sales world, what have you learned and how has that helped you as a seller of farm product? How have you been able to build these relationships and how much time and what goes into them? Give them an inside look from somebody who enjoys doing this and does it well. You know, it's it's so it's it's difficult to, to sometimes think about what it is I do because I've done it for, for a while. Like when you do something for a while... It becomes just second nature, or just your nature. Um, so, I mean, so my restaurant now, I mean, it, all of my restaurants really started, um, let's see, I, I, I got two of them I have that weren't from referrals from something else. And like, I, I don't, um, man, I don't like to hit the pavement. I'm not a person that wants to just go around the city and hand out samples and, and all that crap. I don't like that. I think you might get some one-off purchases. I have, um, I've, I don't have many restaurants that I have. I don't have actually any restaurants that were like, okay, yeah, let's get a weekly order. That wasn't a warm handoff from, or a warm lead. So in sales as, as you know, Diego, there's warm leads and cold, cold leads. So a cold lead or a cold, cold market is you walk in there or you, you make a phone call just a cold call and you say, Hey, I'm a farmer as a chef. And then you go down there and you bring them some product and then you got to try to sell yourself. Like that's, that's a tough gig to do. Um, you know, you're going to be nervous and everything else like that. I think it could be done. And I'm not saying that I think if you, if you don't have any warm, warm leads into restaurants or you don't know people that work at restaurants, um, that's what you got to do. But for, for me personally, you know, it was who I know. So I, I, my main restaurant that started, that actually got me into a total of four restaurants. I actually met because I saw a guy wearing, I was at a bar and I saw a guy wearing a, a kitchen outfit. Um, and I knew there was a fancy restaurant, right? A couple, couple spots down. And I just went and started talking to him about food. I was talking about how much I like pigs and you know, we just started talking about food and had a good time. And he ended up being the kitchen supervisor and he got me a meeting with those chefs and then they bought for me a couple times. And then I kind of, I'd fallen off. And then when I, um, when I decided I was going to made the decision that, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm really going to go at it. Um, it was ramp season. So it was this time of the year and it was like a, a forged crop that I knew chefs liked. So I had the chef's email and I sent her a, an email and I said, do you, do you want, you know, ramps? And she goes, yeah. And then I just go in there. And so when I got her the ramps, she loved him so much. And then I just have small talk with her, uh, just talk to her about normal things. Like I, honestly, I just talk to people about what I'm doing or I talk to them about the operations on the farm because chefs actually really like that stuff. They want to know where their food comes from. They want to know, like, they think that stuff's cool. Like they want to have a relationship with the food that they're working with. And a great way for you to bridge that relationship is for you to talk to them about it. I mean, you know, you don't there, you'll learn how long, you know, you don't, it's kind of like a managed thing. Like you don't want to talk their ears off because they're busy people. 
But you know, there's a sweet spot. I mean, every time I go, even if I go into my bank, I try to make sure that I make, I'm smiling, that I make whenever, you know, the bank teller's helping me, I'm, I make sure I take time to just make them smile or talk about their day or just try to make them kind of take a break. Cause you know, working in a kitchen or working at a, a retail spot, I mean, that that's a grind. And I think you, if you come from it, from like an empathetic lens and realize, Hey, you know, what would it take if I was them, what would make me happy or what would, would take me out of, out of kind of like my, my grind because working in a kitchen can suck. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know how many farmers that, that sell have worked in kitchens before, but it's, it's tough business, man. I mean, that's, it's a, you know, you work in close confinement, it's hot, you know, you, you got your walk, people are walking around with sharp knives, you got to be, be aware of. And, you know, so I, I think if you can be a, a brightness in their day and, and just kind of come in and be happy and smile at them, like they're going to like you and they're going to want to buy from you. Um, and then you, you just make sure that all you, then you're just really consistent. I mean, for me, it was, what do you need? And then I would just try to constantly help them and make sure that all their needs were met. And then I got a referral to another restaurant and they're like, oh, I'm good friends with that chef. So then I started always talking to them. And, and also too, every time I make a delivery, I ask them what they thought of the product last week. What would, what could I change? What, what would make it better for you? Um, you know, just simple, simple sales stuff that I've learned, like listening to your chefs is a big deal. I mean, they're your customers. I mean, I, you know, if, if you buy something and you're unhappy with it and the person doesn't care that you bought it from, it makes you pretty upset. But if you buy something and then something's unhappy about it and then and then you give them an opportunity to make it, you talk to them so you can have an opportunity to make, make it right for them in a sense. Um, so I think, I think just the, for me, I think what's really helped out is that I want the chef's feedback. Like I want them to know that our relationship is really important to me. Like it's really important to me that you like what I'm bringing to you. It's really important to me that you think that this is the best stuff you can get in Ohio. Um, and so that's that's kind of what I strive for. So when I'm when I'm talking to chefs, all I, I'm taking all that stuff into consideration. Can you think of any changes you've made as a direct result of chef feedback that aren't just minor? Yeah, I mean, one of them was uh, they wanted stuff smaller. I mean, it was, they, they wanted, I, I see a lot of, I mean, even, um, here they don't, the chefs don't want long stemmed pea shoots or they don't want long stemmed radish shoots. They don't want stems. I mean, they don't want something that they buy from me that they have to cut. Um, I think they're used to doing it so they don't complain, but if you give them an option to where they don't have to, um, they're pretty happy about it. I mean, it might take my yield down a little bit, but that's okay. I mean, I have happy customers that give me more happy customers. So like pea shoots, I don't have, I mean, I'll grow them kind of long, but I kind of hack them. Uh, there's still quite a bit of stem when I harvest um, that I've cut off. So they, they want the leaves, but they don't want the rest of the plant. Um, so I, you know, so growing that, uh, actually growing cilantro, um, the, the main chef that I worked with, the whole reason why I started growing cilantro was because she was looking for something she could buy from me. And she said, do you think you could grow micro cilantro? I'm like, you know what? We'll, we'll try it. So then Rich and I started, started messing with it. And now cilantro is like one of our main crops. I mean, because 
the stuff that I that we grow has so much flavor versus the competition that it's it's not even a question. And then it turns out my price point is a lot better too. So I you know I think um, yeah I I, I I've changed a lot and I and I look to change more if if I can and if it makes more more chefs happy. When it comes to them passing off business to you or giving you a warm lead is it just hey drew you, you should call so-and-so at such and such restaurant or is it you saying hey do you have any friends that run restaurants that you think might like the product or is it both it's it's a mix of both uh surprisingly i mean i'll have chefs that tell me i should raise my prices they'll be like you should really raise your prices just don't do that for me like you could sell this stuff for so much more than what you're selling it for and you know, and, and if if demand gets to a point, I'll raise my prices again. Um, but I raised prices the first time because my chef was like, you know, I like working with you, and I want you to stay in business. And your prices are just way too low. You need to raise your prices. Um, so I did. I raised them like uh, by like twenty five percent. So it, it and it, and they didn't even blink an eye. I mean, everyone was still happy to receive them. Um, yeah, it's it's a mixture of both. I mean. I'll ask them for referrals and then they can't think of anything at first and then they'll find somebody and they'll say, Hey, they'll either text me and they'll say, Hey, this is this person's number. Reach out to them and see if you can give them samples. I would way rather have a warm lead. So that way when I go into a restaurant, I can get by the host or who's ever there. That's kind of the gatekeeper there. And, um, cause you know, I've, I've been, when I was doing it cold, I would get, caught up by the gatekeeper even if it was them saying hey you should go to that restaurant but if i didn't have like a warm lead of knowing the chef's name so i could say oh this person's expecting me it's a lot harder to get by that gatekeeper because they're doing their job they know they don't want their chefs being bothered especially from some guy off the street but if you go in and say hey uh, i'm here to see chef doug and chef doug is is expecting me then it's way easier to get in. So it's a mixture of both. I mean, I at certain times it's, you know, you should really do that because they want to help me because they really like me. And other times it's me saying, hey, is there anyone else who you know that you think would want to buy this stuff? And then they would think about it. Um, recently, because, you know, demand has picked up and and uh, it's we're, we're kind of at this, this point um, to where most of the money that goes into infrastructure needs to go back outside instead of inside. I haven't really tried to expand um, that much, and I and I've had to when I picked up a, a, a consistent we, another consistent weekly order. I had to say to the chef, "Hey, I want to, but I don't want to tell you yes. Let me call my farm manager and make sure that we can we can do that, and then I'll call Rich and him and I will talk about it, and we'll say, do we have because what do we have space for? Do you think we can do three more pounds a week consistently?" And then we'll 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 discuss it, and then if we decide yes, then we do it. Um, so I, I think, and then I'll then I'll call the the chef and tell them, and they're pretty they're pretty grateful. I think that you know being mindful and not wanting to make promises that I can't keep goes a long way. Given that you're very relationship driven, and you're selling to all these restaurants, do you grow any of the same product differently for different restaurants? So cilantro this size for one restaurant, different size for another one, or pea shoots one way for one and different for another? So surprisingly, no. Um, the chefs that are picky, um, they tell me what they want. I mean, I might for pea tendrils. I'm trying to, 
Uh, the new restaurant I just picked up, they have a little bit longer pea tendrils, and then all the other chefs uh, like the pea tendrils a certain size. Like some chefs, they don't care. They're either they're just like, oh, that tastes good. It lasts long in the in the cooler. We're we're pretty good. We we're, we're not as picky about the length. Other chefs are very more particular, and they're like, well, this is why I want it that size. And then they'll show me how they want to per- use it as a garnish on a plate. I'll take a picture and I'll send it to Rich, and Rich and I will talk about it. Um, or, uh, but but thankfully, the picky ones typically like the same thing. Like they want it to be smaller. Um, or they'll make suggestions. And I'll make a change, then I present it to another chef that's picky, and they'll actually surprisingly like it as well. So I haven't really run into that. It seems like uh, most of the chefs that they're usually picky in the same way, and it's and I and I could just be lucky, um, which I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it's. I don't want to say all the chefs are the same down here because they're definitely not. But um, a lot of them come from like the same. They've either all all worked at the same restaurant at one time. So that's kind of the advantage of the referrals too, is they've worked together. So they typically work similar, they operate in a similar fashion. Um, so I haven't really run into that, but the, um, the tendril thing is the first where it's, you know, I want them a little bit longer. So then I just, I guess I just harvest a couple trays a little bit later. Um, so I'm, I'm not to a point like I, I, I get where people would want to harvest everything at the same time. But I think like right now I'm harvesting, uh, I think I harvest like four days a week. I have one big day and then I have a, a, a few days where it's just littler stuff. Are there any crops which you've tried to grow in the past that chefs want and you just can't make them work or rich can't make them work? We decided to throw the towel in on corn shoots. Um, Corn shoots were like a cool thing. It was cheap. And then uh, my the seed that was cheap kind of went away. And then it was like, man, this 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 is getting expensive. And then we couldn't get them to grow. We It was one of those things to where, you know, listening to Chris Throw on your show and him talking about how all he did was pea shoots at first. And we were we just decided, well, we I've scratched uh, sunflower shoots and corn shoots sunflower shoots was my decision corn shoots was a mixed decision between rich and i um rich didn't mind that we scratched sunflower shoots it they are a nice crop because they yield well but the the pain of the husks and even when i'd clean them and i'd have to take extra time to clean them and to me they would still kind of look like crap it was one of those things to where everything that we're delivering looks beautiful um and i would only do the the sunflower shoots at farmers markets um, so I might start it up again in the summertime, but I've, I don't, I've never really tried to sell them to the restaurants because I don't like the way they look. Like I'm not, I probably could get in sunflower shoots if I wanted to, but you know, the idea of getting a bubbler set up here and washing stuff and, and drying it, I, I'm just not really uh, a fan of, I don't want to, it's a lot of extra steps that I don't want to do. I mean, if my stuff's not dirty, I'm not going to wash it. Like if there's not dirt all over it, I'm not going to wash it, especially with dainty greens like arugula and mustard um, or even radish to a certain extent. I mean, peas are fine if you wash them or sunflower, but you know, I don't want to wash micro cilantro. Like it's, that's a really dainty crop and you're going to probably damage and ruin the shelf life of it. So um, those two crops for sure. And And it wasn't even necessary that we couldn't get them to work. It was, 
what it what do we really what's going to be more beneficial if we figure out how to really yield micro cilantro right now um or something else so we, we definitely are going to experiment with some more with some perennial microgreens i have a lot of requests for mint um and i have requests for surprisingly dandelion um but we'll see i mean we're not we don't want to make promises we might experiment with it but we've just been you know it, it going ending last season and then having to move thing indoors and then trying to replace that farmer's market income that went away was uh so our biggest you know our, our biggest thing was okay let's let's get the basement going okay the basement's going we got to get some uh ventilation in okay we're going to expand we got to get some more shelves so we haven't had a lot of time to really experiment with things like corn shoots or kohlrabi or beets or other things that i actually have seeds for already um they're definitely on a list for us to try but it's it's just knowing when is when oh we want to try basil as well but it's it's also you know knowing when is it um when is the appropriate time to start because i know that there's a market for those things but you know when it comes to experimenting when you have limited shelf space um, and, and you want to try to maximize what you have to try to get that cash flow coming in. It's, it's knowing when it, when it's a good idea to experiment and when is a good idea to just really perfect what you already have going on. Given that you have the limited space, how do you deal with a situation that could come up in the future? If, if your demand keeps coming up with restaurants, I mean, even if you don't add new varieties and just grow the varieties you have, at some point you you're at capacity for the space you have is the answer then to say, no, I can't take on anymore. You know, that's a good question, Diego. And I, uh, I think about that sometimes. So, you know, I, I think maybe no, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'd be okay with saying no, or I'd also be okay with saying, okay, I could do this crop, but not that crop. Um, but I think, you know, if I get to the point where I'm saying no regularly to, and I'm in that much demand, I think I would raise my prices. And then I think if I raise my prices and I still have that demand, then I might look into expanding. I know I, you know, thankfully Diego, I have a really good uh, local mentor here um, who's been selling microgreens for about 10 years. And I've picked his brain quite a bit. Uh, we work together. I get my soil through him. His name, uh, I'll shout him out if that's okay. His, his name's Joseph Swain, and Swain, he's got a you know he's he mainly does mushrooms and microgreens. And one thing he told me, and and just like really allowing me to like pick his brain, and we I kind of have a no compete clause with him. Like I don't sell at the same farmers markets. If somebody if if a restaurant is already selling to him, I don't talk to that restaurant. If they ask me, I say, look, me and Swain we work together. I'm not competing with Swain. I'm not trying to take his business. Um, and he does the same for me. I think, you know, we, there's so many, you know, there's, there's 2 million people in the metropolitan area of Columbus. So there's so many restaurants, there's so many outlets that we could sell, you know, we can, there's no reason why we can't work together. And so Swain, um, he went from being similar. He has a bigger yard than me. And he, he, he went from his basement and went and got a warehouse because his demand went so much. And he's like, honestly, man, I make the same amount of money. Um, you know, when I scaled up, it was, I kept my prices the same and I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in a position now with the warehouse to where I can make more money, but with the cost of the bills and everything else, it's, 
I, it's, I'm pretty much making the same amount of money as I was in my house. He's like, scale is, and you know, it's something that Greg Burns talks a lot about. And, and, you know, scale is scaling any business. There's a lot of factors you have to take into, into, you just have to take a lot of factors into, into thought. Um, you know, there was an opportunity to where there was a whole people that there was a, there's an owner that, uh, Swain used to sell to that all their restaurants, they would need 35 pounds a week. And, um, that was kind of presented to me and it was like, man, I'm not trying to scale up that fast. I think if I was going to take on any of that, I want to do one restaurant at a time and I'd want to do only certain crops at a time. I, I don't, you know, I, I think it's dangerous for farmers and it's easy to do because you see the dollar signs on the other end of that scale, but you're not necessarily seeing everything else. You're not seeing the extra time you have to put in. You're not seeing the, the upfront money you have to spend. You're not, you're not taking into consideration, okay, my system works on this level, but I don't even have this system perfected. Why would I want to go and scale up to that much more that's going to triple or quadruple my production? So, it, you know, and it's, it's just kind of dangerous. I think, you know, you even see it with people that work in the field. And I was almost a victim to that um, after my first season because I, had, I was going to quit my job and move on my buddy's property and start farming an acre to try to make more money. And it's like, you know, the same problems are just going to follow me. And it was kind of, you know, something having a good friend who's, who's been self-employed for a while, like Greg Burns and being able to have him sit me down and talk about everything that I'd have to take into consideration before I did that was, you know, I'm pretty blessed to have that. And I think it kind of falls back on my relationship. So to answer your question, I, I don't know. I think it depends on the situation. I think what I would want to do first is say no, raise my prices. And then if, if I keep raising prices and that demand's not going away, then looking to see what what uh, warehouse I might be able to move into in some depressed urban area in Columbus, Ohio. I mean, one thing you mentioned earlier was just balancing out lifestyle. How do you feel at this point between what you have to do for the business and life? Do you feel like now that you have these segmented roles, you do what you like best, you do what you do well best, and Rich does what he does, that work doesn't feel so much like work? Yeah, I think so. I think I, I need to help Rich more in a lot of different areas. And I think, uh, you know, there, there's definitely, there's, you know, I'm still, we, him and I work very differently and, and I need to, I need to communicate with him more and figure out what I can do to help him more because he's, he's the type of personality to where if he just thinks it needs to get done and I say, I'm going to do it and I'm kind of dragging my feet, he's just going to do it. And then like we'll run into situations to where that's happening and in um and I don't want him to ever feel like he's being taken advantage of. And and unfortunately I think it, it probably does happen because I, I get I get distracted or I'm finding I'm still looking at shiny objects or I'm trying to maybe try, you know, experiment blocking off a period of time for another spot of entrepreneurship. Um so I, I definitely could I, I definitely feel that way. I have time to where um Cause you know, I still, the farm's bringing in money now. Uh, I think, I think it like last month that we made the, it was like 2000 in revenue and it can, it can go up quite a bit. Um, but it, it's, it's also, you know, I, I'm still working offsite. Like I'm a contracted employee at my buddy's pizza shop. Um, 
So I just get a 1099 there and he, he works with me quite a bit. So I can just work Friday and Saturday. And then once farmer's market season comes, um, I'll, he'll probably let me go down to one day a week or, or take time off. So he, he respects what I do. And, and so that, that, that helps having those relationships. Um, but yeah, I definitely have time to do the things I want to do. Um, but I, I could definitely do a better job of spending more time on the business or in the business. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still learning. I mean, this is the first, this is, uh, you know, it's almost one full year that I've been doing this full time. Um, and it's even then when I say full time, it's, it's not even full time. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe putting in 20 hours. Uh, Rich is probably putting in more hours because of what, what he does and just our approaches are very different. So I, I could definitely put more time in and try to help Rich more. And I, and I, and I want to do that more in the future. One other thing I want to circle back to is one specific part of the process that you do focus on as part of those 20 hours, you do the harvesting and I visited your place last fall and you showed a lot of what you learned about harvesting and making it presentable to chefs. I'm assuming based on chef's feedback and just your thoughts, can you talk about your approach to harvesting and packaging the product? Because it's very different than just cut it, throw it in a container. Yeah, I was cutting it and throwing it in a container and because Rich is the plant whisperer, he kind of had a bit of a of like a confrontation with me, but it was a good one. And he was like, Drew, that is alive. Like if you just throw it in that container, it's going to get bruised. It's going to mess with the shelf life. It's going to do this. And and so it's like, you know, it doesn't take much time to 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 cut it and gently put it in a container. So and, and it was something too I saw uh Swain. So when I went to Swain's um, he, cause he was selling to so many restaurants. He just had these little containers that were reusable. So I, I didn't have to constantly buy containers that are just getting thrown away. Um, you know, just plastic going in a landfill. So it was one of these things to where, um, that we found that these, you know, we could fit about a pound in these little sterilite containers. Um, so from talking to chefs, I had figured out, they had told me that, because what I would do is I'd bring it, bring them the microgreens in a container and they'd get paper towels and they'd put it, lay them down and wet the paper towel a little bit and then put the, another towel on top to try to keep the humidity in the greens so they, they last longer in the cooler. So from watching them do that and then uh, just working with, with Rich um, and him kind of saying, Drew, you know, keeping in mind that you know, these, these things are still alive and they're slowly dying after you harvest them. Um, it, I, I'm very careful with it. So when I cut, I'll take a handful and I gently place it in the container while it's on the scale and I make a cut and I gently place it and it's, and I can still harvest a tray in like, in like a minute. So it doesn't take, it doesn't take too much longer. Um, and then that way, when I deliver it to, restaurants i have cooks that are you know line cooks say man i love your stuff my favorite thing about it not just the flavor is when i opened it it just looks really nice and orderly um because i have everything face i try to have everything face in the same way i mean i don't get too meticulous with it um but i want it to i don't want it to look like crap i mean that's something that's coming from me and even if if i have beautiful crops why wouldn't i want them presented in a way to where they look even more beautiful so i you know that's that's the thing that um, 
I think, you know, working in retail for a while with presentation and something else too, working in retail, which um, I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll probably want me to talk about is how I switched my containers. So I was getting, I was kind of getting obsessed with how I was selling my containers of uh, greens at the farmer's market too. So, you know, I had, um, I had these shells that, these crappy clamshells that uh, I was putting them in and I'd put two ounces of microgreens in and these containers, like the lids would pop off. And it was so annoying for me. I'm like, man, I wonder, I imagine if it's, if, if one of my customers have them, they're like, what the heck, this sucks. And so when I had that, um, I hated those containers. So then I switched to um, containers based on what Ray Tyler had told me he uses for his salad greens when he sells to grocery stores. He gets them from like the Webstaurant store. So I looked at these these plastic containers he was using. I was like, oh, they have smaller size. Well, let me get this size. So then I started putting two, ounce, two ounces of microgreens in there and I was still selling them you know, for the same price. I do Curtis system, one for three or two for five. And then I had bought in smaller containers because I had experimented in selling other people's herbs and it just didn't really go well. And then at one point I ran out of containers and my sales weren't really... Microgreen sales, it was it was really kind of a, I, you know, consumers, microgreens still aren't, chefs are aware of them, but a lot of consumers and in, in a lot of the farmer's markets I was in weren't really as familiar with them. So I'd have to do a lot of educating. Um, so what I did was, because I wasn't doing the herbs, I was like, you know what, I'm out of containers. I want to use these containers. Let's do an experiment and let's see what happens when I cut them down to one ounce and it's in the in a similar looking container. And then I'll do one ounce for one for three or two for five and pretty much double what I'm getting out of per pound. And let's see if the customer actually likes it more because there's going to be less in it. So they might be more likely to try it. So my theory was correct. Um, I sell microgreens by the ounce. It's like pretty much 250 an ounce um, at the farmer's markets. And um, people actually buy it a lot more because, you know, they didn't want too much. If you only give them one option on microgreens, and they think it's too much, they're not going to purchase it because they don't want it to go to waste. Like people aren't buying, most people that I've discovered that shop at farmer's markets, they use it as like this feel good thing to do where they could support a local farmer and they want to support you. But at the same time, they, they feel guilty if your food, if the food they buy from you goes bad. So um, I, I was taking that into mind. So I, I um, so I'd switched containers and ended up making a lot more money and the containers cost less. So not only was I making money, more money on what I was getting per pound, but I was actually making more money because I was reducing my expenses at the same time. So I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking now, like I'm thinking, um, about maybe selling a larger size. Cause I'm going to, I'm switching it up this year to where I'm going to be every other week at farmer's markets. Cause I like a couple markets quite a bit and I don't want to just do one of them. So one is a every is like two Saturdays a month and the other one's every Saturday. So I I I'm going to try to mix it up and see see how that works um at those farmers markets. So if if it's a more hip uh community and they're more hip to microgreens, I might have larger containers where I sell more and I might do, you know, one for five or two for eight, something along those lines as well. I haven't decided yet. Um, I'm still, you know, but I, I'm kicking around different ideas for how I can package things and price things to where people feel like they're getting the most value for their money. 
And if you're going to do sunflower shoots, you mentioned that potentially doing that at a farmer's market, would that be something you're selling more volume of because it's a salad additive? That's a good question. So one thing I noticed at the farmer's markets uh, is pea shoots sell so much more at certain markets because of like the health. And it's the same with sunflower, just like you're saying, because it's like this, like, oh, I can throw this in my salad. Um, and a lot of people don't like the spicy, but the spicy, actually, I can sell a lot more to men that don't eat vegetables. Like they love mustard greens. And it's like something that I've, I've so many of my friends, even my brother who knows that I eat vegetables and he doesn't, but you know, he's, he's, he has a kid now and he's going to, um, he's getting married. And, and so he's like, you know, he's thinking more about his health. He's like, man, is there any way you can teach me how to grow this mustard or I can get mustard from you in bulk? Cause I know it's a vegetable and it's good for me. And I know that I can eat that. So it's, you know, I, I think what I, what I try to do at the farmer's markets for the value add is I do try to really sell it on health. Like, you know, people know they should eat greens, but they think greens have to taste like crap. And so if you can present something to them to where they're not, they're not, you know, Oh, I, I can feel good about, I can feel good and still have something taste good. They get pretty excited about it. And thinking along those lines where you're selling lettuce, like a field crop lettuce at the farmer's market booth, is that just to have something else to sell those people who are already buying microgreens or does that help draw people in because that's familiar or is it just complimentary? You know, when you have what all sounds like a robust microgreens business, I'm thinking like, why mess with lettuce? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. Um, I've kicked that around. So I I do a lot more uh, revenue is a lot higher when I have this salad there because I can get people that are on the fence about microgreens to say, hey, for an extra two dollars, man, you can get these mustard greens. And well, what what would I eat them on? Well, man, put them on your burgers. Like I don't try to like pretend like they're not healthy. Put them on sandwiches, man. Put them in breakfast burritos throw them in your eggs throw them on top dude they taste good they add flavor i mean i i'm very much for uh a pro i'm a pro fat diet for sure i think the science is out and i think i try to do my part and get that information out there and say you know get in your kitchen and have some fun man like you know like enjoy the food you're eating like so i i think so when i have this salad i mean a lot of times i think for my farmers markets there's so many moms and there's so many um women in like the 20 to 40 range that like to eat salads and they they are so happy to get my salads and so it's it's a value add i think people that are i i think columbus even though we're a pretty hip city um the people there's still a lot of people that are still not hip to what microgreens are and they only think that they they're familiar with like sunflower or pea shoots but they don't they don't even understand it. They're just small vegetables. Um, so uh, the salad is there mainly for because it's something that they know. And it's it's good lettuce. I think that even if you put it on sandwiches or you just wash it, um, it has good flavor. So it, it is – and it kind of goes back to why I'm, I'm just kind of like, you know, I'd rather just buy the lettuce from somebody else rather than take the time to harvest it and everything. I'd rather just buy it and package it and sell it um, because uh, – having a crop like lettuce is is it like the bags of salad i mean you can when you do one for three and two for five you get about 10 bucks a pound um sometimes you get more and and it's a great way to get people in the door with microgreens so i I, you know people love the salad greens um i don't like taking a lot of crops to the farmer's markets i don't want to mess with carrying all that stuff like it's 
I want to have as much fun as possible and make as much money as I can when it comes to the farmer's market. So I don't, it's stressful for me to have to, especially if the parking situation sucks and I have to, uh, carry my stuff a long ways away. And then I have to keep certain things. Like when, when you're selling greens, it's already kind of a, a thing to where you have to have a system to where you're getting things in and out of cool bags or, or stuff. Like I have, I have little coolers that I deliver stuff in and I'll have ice packs in there. I'll have, I'll buy ice and then I'll have my bags of lettuce sitting on top of the ice. And if it's a really hot day, I got to constantly rotate those let that lettuce out. Um, so having like crops that I have to spray with water and all that stuff, it's for me, it's, it kind of kills the mood. So I, I found real quick that if I just have microgreens and another product, it's a lot easier to do the one for, uh, one for five or one for three or two for five. And then I think if I could do like half pound bags of lettuce and, uh, bigger containers of microgreens, I would want to experiment with this. I could also have a one for five or two for eight sort of deal. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I'll, I'll see, I'll see how it goes, but, uh, the lettuce is definitely to, to answer your question. I, I like the, I could, I've, I've done well at farmer's markets without the salad greens, but it's a, it's an easy way for me to make an extra 50 to 75 to hundred dollars a farmer's market. Yeah, it makes sense. And it fits with your branding. Like you're the salad slash garnish guy. If you're going to put lettuce on a burger, you throw the microgreens on there as well. It just, they fit together nice. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, yeah, and I actually had to rebrand and this is kind of a funny story too. So uh, I, I actually just am in the process of rebranding from Capital City Gardens to Capital City Greens as well. So I think it, it will fit with that, that new brand because what it it's kind of funny. So what happened was, is I was winning the Google war with capital city gardens and then a nursing home popped up and I totally forgot that, you know, from studying Curtis and JM and Canada where they, they refer to things as gardens, uh, a lot more than we do. I kind of forgot that a lot of farms and gardens, um, in the States are either apartment complexes, nursing homes or housing developments. So businesses with those names or uh, entities with those names. So six months, I think it was actually eight months after I registered Capital City Gardens, another business registered, which is Capital City Gardens Nursing and Rehabilitation Center. So because I was winning the Google War with Capital City Gardens, I started getting a lot of phone calls for uh, people telling me they weren't going to show up to work that day or people telling me that they needed somebody to come and change their adult diaper. And I mean, I had all kinds of things that were kind of funny and sad all at the same time. And I'm like, man, I need to, I, I just need to change my name. And I think cap city greens or capital city greens just fits what I do a lot better. Cause I'm not, when I first did capital city gardens, I did have that idea of what we talked about earlier of having the root crops and having multiple field crops. And now it's like, I just really want, it's it's kind of one of those things where I have a smaller property, so the the smaller smaller the property, really the the less um, the less kind of crop variety you really want to have. It kind of seems like so far. Overall, you're crushing it. I love what you're doing there in Columbus. Maybe we can follow up later this year, see how some of these new crops go, how the farmers markets evolve. For people that want to follow along with what you're doing, you do a podcast. You're on social. Where are the best places to go to listen and see? Thank you, Diego. So yeah, so my podcast is Sample Hour. It's the Sample Hour, but it's just samplehour.com. 
you can find it pretty much everywhere. Um, if if there's a if if you listen to your show on a different podcast player and you can't find it there, please write me an email. It's just the sample hour at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at Drew Sample. Um, my business is at Cap City Greens. Um, you can friend me on Facebook. Uh, I'm I'm on Twitter, but I'm not really on Twitter. But you can follow me there. Sometimes my Instagram goes onto there. So, uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it, Diego. Thank you so much for having me on today, man. There you have it, Drew Sample of Capital City Greens in Columbus, Ohio. If you want to learn more from Drew or listen to some of the podcasts that Drew has done, be sure to check him out at the links listed in the show description for this episode. I really want to thank Drew for coming on today and sharing his story. If you're somebody who'd be interested in doing a future podcast episode to share your story, feel free to reach out and shoot me an email. And one other note as we head into summer, lately I've been migrating a lot of the old archives from early versions of Farm Small, Farm Smart and The Urban Farmer over to the new podcast feed, the feed you're listening to right now. In the past, the old Urban Farmer episodes weren't on this feed. I'm slowly moving them over so if one episode a week isn't enough and you're craving more farming talk, be sure to check out some of the older episodes on this feed to satisfy your craving. That's all for this one. Thanks for listening today, and thanks for listening always and for all the support that you send my way. I really appreciate that. Next week, I'll be back with another small-scale farmer making a go of it. Between now and then, keep hustling and crushing it. Until the next episode, where it's all about farming small and farming smart. <laughs>